Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. Let's not gloss over Fletcher's linguistic intelligence, which glitters. Indeed, it glistens even the glare of a spotlight, leaving a warm glow. Okay, usually we're talking about things that people say wrong. Uh, And okay, honestly, we can really, really question the veracity of the statement that I just read. But you might have noticed something that was going on there. Uh, The words like gloss and glitter and glisten and glare. There are a lot of words there that have the same sounds in them. And you guys brought this to my attention. This is not something that I'd ever heard of, but this has a particular term, and it really has a particular function in our language. Talk about what we're doing here. Okay, the word that we use to describe this is called a phonosteme. And that's when uh, there is like a subword pattern of a sound that kind of indicates something. In the case that we just did, GL basically says the word possibly has a meaning related to light or vision. Glimmer, glisten, glitter, gleam, glow, glint. And that was described in 1930, and it was called a phonos theme, which is the word phonos comes from the Greek, which means sound. And then this theme part comes from a Greek word meaning cognizance of, awareness of the sound. The word phonos theme was coined in 1930, but the concept of it has been around um, since the 1600s. And it's what you said. I mean, really, to put, I'm going to put it in lay people's terms because that's how I always think. It's it's like you've got like these like sounds that remind you of something. And it's not always the beginning, like ump, U-M-P. You've got thump, you've got bump, you have dump. And they all sort of sound like broop, don't they? Yes, they definitely have. A, and it can also not even be at the it, ump sounds sort of like a rounded, fatty, globular term we think of automatically. And it can also be in the middle, too. Some people have noticed the guy who, like, did it scientifically, this guy Firth in 1930, didn't mention it. But they can also be in the middle. For example, the E sound and the E sound, we and bit. A lot of times the E, that slight E or E, means something small. And then sometimes, like, the, uh, like an uh sound like dung tends to be something undesirable. The one thing I think we've got to make clear is GL, for example, was our initial thing, doesn't always, isn't always in a word that means light. It isn't. Not at all. And I think we've got to make that really clear because otherwise people are going to be like, wait a minute. No, it's not at all. And what they've done now, what they've been recently doing are like very detailed statistical studies to determine is this coincidence or is this, does this actually seem to have a, a connection to, you know, a given meaning? I mean, for example, with um, the GL, I mean, let's just try to think right now off the bat of a GL word that doesn't have uh, a light sort of uh, significance to it. Glop? Is glop a real word? Does that count? <laughs> I like glop it, is a good one. <laughs> I know. But now the op, 
I would argue, yeah. something else. Because you've got plop, glop, glop. <laughs> that's a backwards, yes. That's a, that's actually the opposite. I was about to say gloom, but that actually does evoke light in a way. Just kind of the opposite feeling. Yeah, like partial darkness. Yeah, gloom definitely. Actually, I mean, if you're going to be technical here, the gla sound seems to come from the very beginnings of uh, Proto-Indo-European. The first language that most Europeans spoke. And there was like a recreated sound they think was gle and gle got into glim which became in middle high german which got glimmer or glance and all that and there was another part of the gle that got to glow which produced glass glow and believe it or not gloom so fletcher as usual you're etymologically uh, advanced <laughs> but this is interestingly enough even though as kathy pointed out that it was noticed as long ago as the 1600s um, and then in the 1930s, a uh, linguist coined the term and started studying it. This, in a way, until recently, has been fairly controversial. Early linguists in the 20th century, and including, I think, up to Chomsky, the famous MIT linguist, basically said words don't really have sound meanings. Like apple. The reason apple or book. Let's take book. The sound book doesn't, like evoke book it just is an arbitrary sound system in arabic book is kitab in latin it's liber in hebrew it's sefer none of those sounds are similar and it's just that it just happens to be you pick a sound and that happens to be the sound but then as kathy pointed out in the 1600s people notice a lot of these words kind of have similarities but they're not sure in some cases like i just said with the glow you can show etymologically but in other cases I don't know. Yeah, I, I was just going to agree with you on that because I mean the whole thing is it's that some do come from a nucleus. I mean let's call it a nucleus of a word like from the past. Others don't. I mean others just I think beget there. But it's like just like any word is. I mean some words do come. I mean obviously etymologically from the same root and they don't sound alike. So yeah, it's it's this very broad, in uh, like uncategorizable thing at this point, I mean, which sounds really vague. I'm trying to think if there's a fauna semen there now. Egg, no, not. But um, yeah, I don't think, I, I think that some are and some aren't. But, and, and that's actually interesting when Kathy said that because, I mean, they're beginning now to statistically um, look at words in usages and see, like, are there weird connections? And obviously, for some reason, they do exist. And I was going to, I just picked up this one thing just now. There was a study that they did the gla sound. For example, the gla sound in terms of usage, 39% of word types and 60% of what they call word tokens, that's when you use the word over and over again, but 38% of gla in the English dictionary, in a big English dictionary, 38.7 to be exact, related to light. Now, there's another uh, Fauna's theme, SN, and just try to, like both of us, just try, let's try to get some SN words just quickly. Snout, snoot. Perfect. It's a nose-related sort of thing. It's not. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, without, you're right, they're noses. Oh, sneeze, snot, snout, snoot, yeah. yeah. Snoot, snore, all of those, the SN um, Fauna's theme is related to uh, nose things. Now, in that same study they did, 38.7, I mean, obviously, you don't really need to be that exact, of the GL words oh, in the English dictionaries <laughs> were related to light. Only 1% of the SN were related to light, but 28% of the SN related to nose, 
And in GL words, only 4% were related to nose. Wow. So that clearly shows there is something going on here. Okay, what I was going to say, though, now, I'm looking at right now SK sound, S-C or S-K. And um, this study that I was reading, because you've got words scamper, the words they use here are scamper, skedaddle, scoundrel, scallywag, skulk. Um, And these are all unknown etymology words on the whole. These are ones where are uncertain in dictionaries. They're not quite sure where they came from, but they all seem to have something to do with um, a l- movement, a very like a swift sort of light movement, right? And this, uh, in this they're saying that they're n- it didn't come from say like a, a, a root word, but that because they're alliterative, they start, they sort of like draw together. Do you know what I mean? Which is exact. That's actually very good. There's an evolution in language. Precisely. Yeah. And we're phonesthetically aware despite what the linguists said in the early 20th century. We do know words do have a certain sound. It's actually interesting because they also have a certain shape. There was a really interesting study, and I don't remember where, but um, it was with, uh, they gave Tamil speakers, which is a South Indian uh, language, and English speakers, they gave them, um, I think it was Kiki and um, Bula, two written words. And then they had like an object and they said like, which, which object is Kiki and which object is Bula? And I think it was over 95% of both people in both languages said Kiki was a sharp object. And I think it was Bula and Bula was the rounded object. So the sounds remind you of something even in different languages. And they said they think that the, like, and Bula, when you write it in English, has sort of rounded B and O. And they think that Bula is... When your mouth is sort of like in, a, in an O shape. Whereas key is you're doing something in the back of your throat, which is like a cutting. So there are, I mean, there are, there are, I think the problem with language all the time is everything is very rough and ready. And there are all sorts of, of, of sort of weird, uh, like confluences and dissonances that we can't, we cannot put it into like a nice, beautiful mathematical formula. This is how it works. As a matter of fact, there's a debate about Faunus themes. Are they, Technically, are they morphemes or are they a morpheme is a small is like an atom of a language. It's the smallest meaningful part of a language like walked has two morphemes walk and the ed and you can take them apart and you can sort of shove them around like the ed you can add to a new word like Google Googled. The problem that you have is with the Afanas theme is you could take the GL out and technically GL doesn't GL doesn't have a separate meaning meaning by itself but in some degrees it does now I mean we do create new words out of faunus themes as well yeah but I think that's stretching it but you do we do with the you do create new words but that's it's still a sound I don't, I don't think it's more I don't think you can argue that it means something in and of itself I agree with you, you it can. doesn't but we but there is a slight sort of vague meaning that we do sort of think of as we feel I think it's we have a feeling I think with it as opposed to a meaning if that you know what I mean do you know what I feel? That's exactly true. I think you're right. It's a feeling. But what I love, if I can, I just want to run through, because when you start thinking Faunus themes, which got me, you guys, is how many there are that you're not aware of. Like we said, this CL, which I never thought of, is often related to the hands that are holding something. I mean, think of CL words. Right. Clamber. Clap. Clasp. Yeah. And then SL words a lot of times have a bad pejorative meaning. Slack, slouch, slush, slime. Slap. Slytherin. <laughs> yeah, Slytherin. Yes, Slither, of course. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Slytherin, I'm going to ask you guys. I had an argument with my wife at, over dinner. I think that 
like uh, what Voldemort's name with the M O R Mordor Moria. Mm-hmm. I think the M O R is like a is a Faunus theme as well in some senses. I don't. I think it comes from death. Yeah, exactly. That's where I, that's where I was headed. I know. That's what my wife said too. So, but I think that it maybe was a Faunus theme in Latin and then in French. We think of it in terms of death as well. Moria is instantly. I mean, uh, Mordor is instantly. You know, when I read Mordor, I, although it sounds like murder, so I guess. I don't know. I'm going to argue with other people on this one, too. <laughs> <laughs> We're with your wife, Raw. I know. Sorry. I give up. I hate all of you. It is such an interesting thing to think about just, though, in terms of the development of language. Kathy, you sort of mentioned that, you know, maybe these words just sort of gathered together uh, over time. And that's something... You know, I hadn't thought about it, I guess, visually like that, as if they were, you know, sort of being drawn together by these sounds and our understanding of what those words mean. But that's that's really interesting, especially once, Ross, you put those percentages on it, like 38 percent of GL words being related to light. Uh, that I mean, that's you know, it, it seems like it's difficult for us to say anything definitively, but that's fairly compelling and it's certainly fascinating yeah they're definitely and they're they're finding that uh, they did they do these studies psycholinguistic priming studies where they like flash uh let's say a gl word and then they create another word uh and see if how you react to that new word based upon the previous word i'm gonna get it gets really complicated but given these studies they show that people definitely seem to to view like the GL word unconsciously almost as more likely than not to indicate something like a a light sound to them. So I'm thinking of the word glom, you know, like glom onto something. And Mm -hmm. I I know it's not related to light, but when I think of that word, there's a little part in my head that, that thinks about light. And I can't explain that except in these terms, like we're used to these other words that are related to light. And, you know, even knowing completely that that glomming onto something has nothing to do with with light, it's still it, there's that little bit in my brain that kind of lights up, so to speak. <laughs> That's really interesting. It's true, and I think I think we go back to the clumping. I think it's because you think because so many are like that. It it, it and I think that's how you develop new words like that. Do you know what I mean? I mean that's why I think that we we keep adding words with say that fauna scene because we've already u- we're already used to that meaning something. Although Kathy is now treading on linguistic thin ice here. <laughs> Have at it. I have, let me defend this. <laughs> I think Kathy is completely correct first of all. But Kathy is braver than I so she's going to go out farther on the ice than I will go. But um linguists claim that um like we said, I said earlier with more like with ed, which is called a morphine, which is like a distinct meaning to the word. You can get a new word called Google, and you can add ed to it, and you know Googled, you know what it means automatically. Now theoretically, and you guys agreed that uh, the gl doesn't have like a specific meaning, and so what linguists say is that unlike morphemes, which are productive, they can create new words. Faunus themes are not productive; they don't create new words. But I think we just mm. showed, as Kathy and Fletcher so ably pointed out, they sort of do create new words, which is the whole problem with language. Everything kind of like melds and gets mushy. But I think they definitely mm. do sort of create new words. So I don't think that, I think they are kind of, maybe as Cass said, you sort of, the meaning was sort of vague. Maybe it's the same thing with productivity. They kind of sort of 
produce new words. Exactly. It's not suffix, prefix, which I know are morphemes as well. I mean, but I'm saying it's not adding something to something and making it something. Yeah. But it it, it, it just sort of, it, yeah, it just sort of, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like a seed or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's interesting, a seed. And again, we have to go back to the fact that there are plenty of GL words that, that aren't related to light. And so that must have something to do with it as well. As we were talking, I thought of the word glutton. Uh, which which is not related to light. Which is not at all light. It, it does have that. It does have that uh sound in it, right? That that Ross mentioned earlier is yes, not necessarily a desirable thing. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something going on there too. But. Well, see, this is the other thing. Now this is an offshoot. I'm gonna I'm gonna go tangent again because there's something called I I'm probably gonna pronounce it wrong. Phon aesthetics, and that's like words that that the sounds that that sound beautiful to you pleasant sounds and then there you have you know things that are euphonious or not if you will and there you have phonosemes some phonosemes are phono phono aesthetically pleasing or phono aesthetic right like you were just saying glutton the glut to me is 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 a bad sound it's very displeasing but button is not no it's true do you see what i'm saying well let's i i think it's fair to say just the, that sound glua is not a very pleasing sound but when it's put in this other context with all these other these these light related words it it changes it a little bit i mean that that sound combination is not particularly pleasing at least to my ears glua no it's not i agree it's it's ugly in english now i'm realizing in my head there are some words that i don't like some words that i find ugly there are some words that I find beautiful, and there are other words that just are words, like button. I have no, I have no feeling about the word button whatsoever. It's a fine word. I'll use it. But glutton is ugly. <laughs> and do you know the most beautiful? Kath and I had written an article a long time ago. The most beautiful word in the English language, according to I think it was C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. Uh, there, I, yeah, I know at least in one place I had read that that the word was gonorrhea. I've read that too. I don't like. I like. They had chosen cellar door. Which has a nice... I love Cellar Door. I think it fascinates me. Cellar Door. Interesting. Yeah, and Dorothy Parker thought so, too. Gonorrhea has too many connotations. I think I see the meaning before I hear the sound. I also think seeing the double R-H-E-A, I think of diarrhea as well. So gonorrhea, diarrhea, neither of them is particularly pleasing to me, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you're letting your pre-existing biases get in, in the way there. I mean, think about just the sound of the word on its own. It's hard to do. It is. I mean, it is hard to separate. Don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. Which actually goes I, to the meaning of diarrhea to some degree, but forget that. For now. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> oh, that was a bad one. <laughs> I'm I'm shocked. It's interesting. I just thought of this as we were doing it, though, and it is true. There's so many like subtle native speaker uh, uh, sort of appurtenances or things that stick onto the words, which is always why it's so difficult, I think, to speak another language really well and to write another language really well. Because we don't get that, I think if we're not brought up in the language, we don't get a lot of these these little sort of unconscious meanings to it. We're basically saying that GL has a large number of words that relate to um, to light, but we ins we don't need to really see the, the 38.7 or whatever it was percent. We kind of know it inside of ourselves. And I think that's a real problem when people 
seek to learn another language because we don't have that that sort I, of. I think that's a really good point because it's not a question of adding vocabulary words no. either. It's just it's it's like you feel like we were saying before. You feel the GL. You don't. The GL really means nothing, but you feel it. You feel the light. Like, yeah. So I mean, so I can I can have like the most extensive Spanish vocabulary, but I won't feel their their faunus themes. No. Because I because I, I mean I can't. And the fano and to use your your fano aesthetics, they don't have that real <laughs> sense of fano aesthetics either. They yeah. can't. Well, they might like the sound, but they would because they would like gonorrhea possibly because they think it sounds good. Maybe. Right. Yeah, it makes me wish I had in front of me a list of what people who spoke various languages thought the most beautiful word in their own language was. And whether whether that word would sound beautiful to me as well as as a person who does not speak that language. That's a very interesting question. I have no because I would also argue. I wonder if someone who doesn't speak the language, okay, say a Spanish speaker, a native Spanish speaker, might find a beautiful word in English that we wouldn't like, like diarrhea. I'm just I'm going to pick diarrhea again. This is just like a <laughs> disgusting choice, but and they might think it sounds nice because technically it's not an ugly word, really. It's just that I can't think of it without thinking of you know it. Yeah, in that case, it's not a very subtle meaning either. It's very overt. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it kind of screams at you there. But no, that's true. No, it's funny because um, one of the first books I had in French was a uh, kid's reading book, and the hero's name was Bob, B-O-B, or Bob. And I always wondered how the French, like, first of all, why they picked that as the hero of the book. And how do they hear Bob? Because I don't think of Bob mm -hmm. as being like the name of a hero, particularly. I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. Like, what would be the most beautiful word in German? Isn't it a, a Schmetterling? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> I like how German sounds. A lot of people don't like German. I like how it sounds to me. Mm -hmm. I almost like it better than French in some ways. But one thing I want to throw out, though, is phonesthesia. And phonoesthetics are particularly important, not as much in um, scholarship, but they're very, very important in advertising. I think that's where mm -hmm. phonoesthetics really comes to play, where words are created or words are... Like, I remember our father had a company when we were kids, and it was called Quadrant Corporation. Quadrant had no real meaning, but the quad, the quad sounded modern. And remember that cat? Mm -hmm. Well, that goes into that whole thing. I mean, that whole uh, uh, name, name, making up names, that whole uh, specialty in business. But this is where I'm. Mean, boy, we're going far afield now because I'm always fascinated by drug names, and and someone makes. I mean, you know that those are all made up. Those those are not. They're not based on anything but sound. And why these certain words or sounds are supposed to, like, you know, make you feel like this will help my diabetes. I mean, but they do. So now we go back to do sounds me have meaning again. So we're talking about euphonies are words like cellar door that sound good, but they also can be words that, like, communicate something, again, quasi-consciously that make you go into this and to buy this this product as you're talking here about about all of these sounds and the ideas or feelings that they evoke i started thinking about jabberwocky and how so many words in jabberwocky are just completely made up right but they really do evoke certain feelings precisely i think that's a really great example because i think with um uh, I think he said slithy was a combination of slimy and lithe. 
is how he said he made it up. He that's called like a portmanteau. I mean, he took two words and you know it's going back to the sound thing. What gets me is Geyer and Gimbel. You immediately okay. What do you guys picture with Geyer and Gimbel? Did Geyer and Gimbel on the wave? Okay, what what is Geyering and Gimbeling to you? Well, it's definitely some kind of movement. You know, I don't I don't know whether it's turning or or sort no, of. No, I think you're right. I think of sort of turning and kind of like sort of sort of buzzling around buzzling is not a word is it either. heavy or light to you guys is it heavy is it a heavy movement like a pounding on the ground or is it light-footed well gimbling's not heavy i don't think of it as i think it was light-footed is that yeah that's what i think too definitely there's just you we all okay none of us know really what that means but we're all picturing the exact same thing and mimsy obviously mimsy to me is sort of like limp Oh, Mimsy were the Barrow Groves. And the Barrow Groves, I automatically always think of something like a flower or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's interesting. Now, I always pictured something hairy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. So we don't necessarily all get the same thing out of every single word. (laughs) But we also, when we hear, "'Twas brillig in the slithy toves, did gyre and gimble in the wave," we instinctively kind of understand it as English, too. We, the, mm-hmm. the sounds are not, uh, they're not, they're not, they're, the sounds are like in order that could, they could be English words, which is also really interesting. So even when they're, it's nonsense, we know it's English nonsense, not French nonsense or something. I just want to say though, that I was right about uh, Bargrove because Humpty Dumpty, I just looked it up, says a Bargrove is a thin, shabby looking bird with its feathers sticking out all around, something like a live mop. Oh. So I must have remembered that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you guys in your flower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at Powell at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really do help us a lot. The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10-Speed Press. And also be sure to check out Kathy and Ross's newest book, Awkward Moments. That's words, like what we're talking about. W-O-R-D-S, Awkward Moments. And of course, Kathy and Ross have written a lot more, and they're always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.